more readings for paleobiology. Um, these are on the tribosphenic molar. This first one is looks like the first chapter from a, some sort of book. Um, it's called Tooth Structure and Form. Quote, Every student of comparative tooth morphology has first to overcome the rather considerable obstacle of a comp complicated nomenclature. This gives the impression that the subject is much more abstruse than it really is, with the result that many students are deterred from getting to grips with its more interesting problems. P.M. Butler, 1978. Mammal teeth come in many shapes and sizes. They can be simple pegs or complex structures with scores of bumps and grooves along their surfaces. No matter how complex they are, though, dental researchers take great pains to describe them in detail. Such descriptions are written in a language all their own and often involve a seemingly endless list of long, complicated terms. This chapter presents a primer, or perhaps a phrase book, to help the student navigate the labyrinth of terminology found in dental morphology literature. The chapter begins with simple terms and concepts that will be familiar to many readers, but the material becomes more complex and detailed as it progresses. For those of you left wanting even more detail, there are excellent sources available. See uh, R.E. Martin, Pine, and DeBlaise, 2001, Bergquist, 2003, and Hilson, 2005. Baby tooth structure. A typical mammal tooth includes a crown and one or more roots, made up mostly of dentine, uh, dentin, dentine in British English. Um, is that just a difference in spelling, or are they pronounced differently? Who knows? The crown is usually covered by a layer of enamel, whereas the root is coated with cementum. The structures of these mineralized tissues described, are described in detail in Chapter 2. Both the crown and the root are hollow, and the crown's interior chamber leads up to a canal running through each root. The chamber and canal hold pulp, the soft tissues that contain the nerves and blood vessels that provide innervation and nutrients to the tooth. The dividing line between the enamel and dentine is the cervix, or the enamel-dentine junction, J-E-D, or sorry, J-E-D-J. And that between the cementum and the dentine is the cementum-dentine junction, CDJ. Mammal teeth are firmly implanted in alveolar sockets of the premaxilla, the maxilla, and the mandible, a condition known as the thecodonty. Teeth are held in place by periodontal ligaments, which help stretch receptors that provide sensory feedback on tooth loading. This feedback is crucial for the precise movements associated with chewing. See chapters 4 and 7. Tooth types. Odontologists recognize four basic types of teeth for mammals, which are divided by position in the mouth and function into incisors, canines, premolars, and molars. In many cases, differences between tooth classes are obvious. Uh, are obvious, and these types are easy to distinguish. In some instances, however, teeth are modified to the point that we must rely on such factors as location relative to bony structures, replacement pattern, shape, and order of appearance and development to determine tooth types. Incisors. Incisors are the front teeth. Uppers are rooted in the premaxilla, or when there's no premaxilla, in the front of the maxilla, and lowers are implanted anteriorly in the mandible. They are most often chisel-like or shovel-shaped, with one cusp and one root, although they occasionally have more than one cusp or root. 
Incisors are often used in grasping, nipping, stripping, scraping, and other ingestive behaviors that bring food into the mouth in chunks, small enough to be processed by other teeth. Some species have specialized incisors that take on specific functions. Rodents and rabbits have sharpened, ever-growing incisors for gnawing. Colugos have comb-like incisors with prongs for grooming or specialized feeding. And elephants and narwhals have evolved tusks from their incisors to serve as sensory organs, weapons, and tools for prying and digging. Canines. Canines are next in the tooth row, usually the first teeth in the maxilla when the premaxilla is present and behind the incisors in the corresponding part of the mandible. These teeth are typically uncuspid, unicuspid, excuse me, with single roots. Like the incisors, though, canines can have accessory cups or additional uh, roots. These teeth vary in both size and shape, and in some cases, such as in cats and many primates, they are long and dagger-like. They often have sharp, pointed edges for fighting or stabbing, uh, biting, and holding prey. Other mammals, such as moles and many herbivores, have small incisiform canines that function along with the incisors in ingestion. Yet in other species, the canines have specialized into tusks, as seen as the walrus, in the walrus, the hippopotamus, and the razorback. The canines and incisors are together referred to as the anterior teeth. Premolars. The premolars lie just behind the canines. There is a great deal of variation among species in the sizes and shapes of these teeth, depending upon both diet and evolutionary history. Premolars range from the slight, single-cusped teeth of the shrews to substantive structures for crushing in hyenas, slicing in cats, and shearing and grinding in antelopes. Premolars also often vary along the tooth row, with the anterior ones simpler and more canine-like, or canineiform, um, caniniform, and the more posterior ones more molar-like, or molariform. Several taxa, such as some fossil plesiodapiforms and living marsupial possums and gliders, have plagio, pla, plagiolocoid, plagiolocoid <laughs> premolars, which are compressed from side to side into long serrated blades. Molars. Molars are the back teeth. They, too, vary greatly in size and shape, depending on the diet and evolutionary history. Molars range from simple and peg-like, such as in dolphins and sloths, to complex, elaborate structures, such as in capybara and elephants. These teeth, along with premolars, are often used to fragment foods into ever smaller chunks by shearing, slicing, crushing, and grinding. Because the premolars and molars are often similar in shape and frequently form a single functional complex, they can be referred to together as the postcanines, or cheek teeth. Deciduous and permanent teeth. Most mammals are diphodont. That is, they have two sets of teeth. Diphodont? 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 The first set, the deciduous or milk teeth, is usually replaced by a second, successional or permanent set. The timing of eruptions and replacements varies greatly, with some, such as the guinea pig, having permanent teeth erupted and even worn before birth, and others, such as the chimpanzee, not completing the deciduous row until up to two or more years after birth. Mammals usually have vertical replacement of teeth, of permanent teeth, which form below their deciduous antecedents and push them out as they erupt. 
In some taxa, however, such as in elephants, manatees, and kangaroos, replacement is horizontal, with successional teeth erupting from the back and pushing their predecessors forward in the row until they reach the front and fall out. Deciduous teeth are often easy to distinguish from their permanent replacements. They are usually smaller, with thinner and whiter enamel, and their crowns and roots may be shaped quite differently from those of their replacements. Mammals usually have two sets of incisors, canines, and premolars. There may be exceptions to this, however. Some mammals, such as mice, may be considered monophyodont because they are born with their permanent dentitions in place. These species may erupt and replace the deciduous teeth in the womb or at least produce germs that degenerate before formation of their permanent successors. Such is the case with marsupials for all anterior teeth and except the third and all except the third premolars. Toothed whales are also monophyodont, although it has been suggested that their antimolar teeth may actually be retained deciduous dentitions. Mammals have only one set of molars. These permanent teeth tend to erupt at the back of the jaw as the maxilla and mandible grow long enough to accommodate them. Dental formulas, tooth notations, and directional terms. Mammals can possess several of each tooth type. These are usually named based on their sequence in the mouth and on their number from in the sequence. The mouth is divided into four quadrants. Upper left, lower right, lower left, lower right. Uh, I think I said that wrong. Upper left, upper right, lower left, lower right. While no mammalian species has more than one canine tooth in each quadrant, there is substantial variation in the number of incisors, premolars, and molars. A dental formula specifies the numbers of cheek teeth for each type that a species possesses. For example, the unusual, sorry, the usual human dental formula is I2 slash 2, C1 slash 1, P2 slash 2, and M3 slash 3. I stands for incisors, C for canines, P for premolars, and M for molars. The values before and after each slash mark are the number of teeth that each type on each side of the upper and lower jaws, respectively. Thus, most people have two incisors, one canine, two premolars, and three molar teeth on each side in the premaxilla and mandible. There is no need to distinguish left from right, as all known living mammals except for the Sao Tome collared fruit bat and the narwhal have left-right dental symmetry. Finally, when cheek teeth cannot be distinguished from one another, the dental formula is reduced to three sets of numbers, with upper and lower premolars and molars combined into postcranial values. Mammals vary greatly in their total tooth complements. Echidnas, anteaters, and pangolins have no teeth at all, whereas dolphins can have, almost, can have more than 200. Most mammals have no more teeth than did their ancestors, as it is much more common for members of a lineage to lose a tooth than to gain one. In this context, primitive dental formulas become important. The primitive dental formula for the metatherian ancestor of modern marsupials is I5-4, C1-1, P3-3, M4-4, and that for the eutherian ancestor of modern placental mammals is I3-3, C1-1, P4-4, M3-3. Dental researchers have also developed various shorthand methods for referring to specific teeth. Teeth may be identified uh, by side, R or L, tooth type, I, C, P, or M, position in the row, 1, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, etc., and upper, superscript, or lower, subscript, jaw. Thus, RP, 
uh, superscript 3 is the right maxillary third premolar. LM subscript 2 is a left mandibular second molar, and so on. Deciduous teeth are distinguished from permanent ones by lacking a D in front of the abbreviation for tooth type. RDI, uh, I think, is a right deciduous upper central incisor. Directional terms are also helpful for descriptions of the teeth. We term the side of the tooth facing the tongue lingual, the side of the incisors and canines facing the lips labial, and the side of the premolars and molars facing the cheek buccal. Terms for the sides of the cheek teeth, uh, the sides of the teeth facing the front or back of the mouth are inconsistent in the literature. The sides of the teeth facing forward and backward are referred to as anterior and posterior, respectively, for most mammals. However, most dental anthropo anthropologists and primatologists use the terms mesial and distal. It makes some sense to consider directions relative to adjacent teeth rather than to the front or back of the mouth for species with arched dental arcades. In this book, the terms anterior and posterior refer to cheek teeth, whereas mesial and distal refer to incisor and canine surfaces facing toward and away from the midline, respectively. Finally, apical refers to the tooth tip, the root tip, incisal to the biting surfaces of the incisors, and occlusal to the biting surfaces of the cheek teeth. Nomenclature for features on the occlusal surface. The occlusal surfaces of cheek teeth can be extremely complex, and the terminology used to describe them can seem daunting. Dental researchers often describe and name dozens of bumps and grooves on a single tooth, and the student of dental morphology must master this vocabulary in order to follow the literature. The focus of this nomenclature has been on molar teeth, though premolars often bear many of the same features. The Cope-Osborne model and the dental cusp nomenclature. While naming conventions vary, most of the commonly accepted terms stem from Edward Drinker Cope's original work on the origins and evolution of mammalian tooth form, and Henry Failfure Fairfield Osborne's elaboration of Cope's ideas and development of a nomenclature based upon them. Cope's naming scheme uses a series of prefixes and suffixes that, when combined, refer to the features found on the occlusal surface of the primitive Therian molar tooth. The prefix is used to identify what Cope and Osborne thought were homologous features, whose, those derived from a single ancestral structure. The suffix refers to the type of feeding being considered. In order to understand Osborne's nomenclature and its use today, we must go back to the 19th century and briefly examine the Cope-Osborne model. Cope spent much of the 1870s developing models for the progression from the simple, primitive molars of mammalian ancestors to the complex, highly specialized teeth in modern species, such as cats and horses. In 1883, he named and described the, quote, tribo, uh, wait, tri-tuberculate, uh, unquote, upper and, quote, tubercular sectorial, unquote, lower tooth types, and suggested that these were primitive forms from which the molars of later mammals evolved. Cope continued this work through the 1880s and developed a model for evolution from a simple cone-shaped cheek tooth to three cones and on to more complex forms with the development of other features and rotations or movements of cusps around the crown. Cope left much of the development of this model to his younger colleague, Osborne, Osborne, 
Henry Fairfield Osborne, 1988b, named the individual cusps and associated structures on the basis of their presumed origins and relations to the original tooth cone suggested by the Cope-Osborne model, figure 1.2. According to this model, the ancestral condition was haplodonty. The upper tooth had a single tall cone or cusp that Osborne called the protocone. Two additional small cusps grew out of the original bone, with the pericone butting anterior to the proto pericone butting anterior to the protocone and the metacone butting posterior to it. This configuration has been called the uh, trichodont form. The pericone and metacone were then said to have migrated or rotated toward the cheek, whereas the protocone was displaced toward the tongue. In this way, the original straight row of cusps developed into the V-shaped arrangement characteristic of the tribotubercular upper molar. Uh, tritubercular upper molar. The resulting triangular surface was called the trigon. A fourth cusp, the hypocone, was later added to posterior and to the protocone in the quadratubercular tooth. This formed on a low shelf or heel called the talon. See below. The lower molar, according to the Cope-Osborne model, evolved in the same manner, and individual cusps were considered homologous with those in the uppers. The protoconid was said to be the original cusp, with the periconid and metaconid anterior and posterior, respectively. These together might form the trigonid. In this case, though, the periconid and metaconid rotated lingually, and the protoconid was displaced toward the cheek. A low shelf, called the talonid, later evolved posterior to the original trigonid. The talonid uh, talonid, talonid, developed three additional cusps, the entoconid on the lingual side, the hypoconid on the buccal side, and the hypoconulid on the posterior end of the shelf. As implied by the title of H.F. Osborne's own uh, seminal paper, The Evolution of the Mammalian Molar to and from the Tritubercular Type, this basic model had two distinct parts, the origin and evolution of the tritubercular molar type and the development of subsequent tooth types from this primitive form. The second part of this model has, been more or less, has more or less stood the test of time, but some of the very basic elements of the first part and the logical basis of Osborne's nomenclature have not. As researchers began to describe new fossil mammal teeth in the early 20th century, it became apparent that the origin of mammalian tooth form and its subsequent diversification were incredibly complex phenomena. Uncertain phyletic affinities, an incomplete fossil record, and independent development of similar traits made it difficult to determine homology of many features recognized on tooth surfaces. One thing that became clear early on was that Cope and Osborne had not gotten it quite right. We will revisit the Cope-Osborne model in detail in Chapter 8. For now, suffice it to say that Cope and Osborne both uh, misinterpreted cusp homologies and got the orders of appearance wrong. We now believe, for example, that the central cusp of early, quote, tri trichodont mammals, which Osborne called the protocone, is actually homologous with the pericone in tritubercular molars, not the protocone. Further, the anterior cusp corresponds to what is now recognized as the stylocone, or styler cusp B, rather than the pericone. To make matters even worse, upper and lower molar cusps with the same prefixes are also are not homologous, as they evolved along independent trajectories. Styler cusp B aligns with the periconid, and the pericone with the protoconid, 
However, the metacone does align with the metaconid. The upshot of all of this has been nomenclatural pandemonium, as researchers have struggled to update the naming system to reflect better understandings of mammalian dental evolution. The main problem is that because the Cope-Osborne model was wrong, Osborne's terms violate the spirit of its original intent, which was to name structures based on the order of appearance and homology. As a result, many researchers describing fossil mammal teeth during the middle and late 20th century had to take great pains to explain their use of older terms and to define new ones. Still, the primary goal of any nomenclature should be to have a common language for discussion, and most would agree that the basic terms used to identify cusps are simply too entrenched to abandon. As P.M. Butler noted aptly and succinctly, quote, language is for communication, unquote. The least confusing solution, and the one employed here, is to continue to use Osborne's basic terminology, acknowledging that cusp names no longer imply serial homology. Thus, we change the rationale behind the terms, but not the terms themselves. We follow P.M. Butler, 1978, who writes, quote, A name implies a type of cusp with characteristic topographical relations to other cusps and characteristic functional relationships to cusps of the opposing tooth, unquote. The Cope-Osborne, quote, reversed triangle, unquote, architecture remains the most basic cheek tooth form discussed by mammologists today. The idealized model has two sets of identical equilateral triangular prisms. These prisms are arranged in a row with the sides opposite of the apices of the triangles, when viewed from the top, aligned end-to-end, anterior-posteriorly. In the upper tooth row, the apices of the triangles triangles point lingually, whereas in the lower row, they point buccally. The upper and lower triangle rows are offset so that they interdigitate during occlusion with the sharp um, edges adjacent to the apices gliding past one another as scissor blades do. See chapter four. The stylized lower molar model is the same, except that it adds a crushing component to the configuration. These teeth have a low heel attached to the posterior end that can come into contact with the opposing surface of the upper triangular prism in the manner of a hammer striking an anvil. G.G. Simpson, 1936, coined the now widely used term tribosphenic to describe this general morphology. This term combines the Greek tribon to rub with sphene, wedge, to recognize both the shearing and crushing functional element of these teeth. The tribosphenic replaces the Cope-Osborne model's original terms tri-tubercular and triberculosectorial. Sorry, tuberculosectorial. Occlusal features beyond the principal cusps. In addition to the principal cusps, the trigon often has secondary cusps. These are usually named after the prefixes as associated with the adjacent major cusps. Secondary cusps on the upper molars are called conules. For example, there may be a paraconule and a metaconule, just lingual to the paracone and metacone, respectively. There are often crests connecting these cusps, uh, connecting, there are often crests connecting to the cusps as well. These take the suffix crista, uh, with the prefix referring to the cusp nearest to them. Thus, the crests running anterior and posterior to the protocone, for example, are called the pre-protocrista and the post-protocrista. Krista, maybe, respectively. Further, often a small shelf-like girdle, the cingulum, runs around the side of the tooth. 
Babucal cingulum tends to be well-developed, with the paracingulum more interior and the metacingulum more posterior. The precingulum and the postcingulum extend this girdle around the anterior and posterior sides of the trigon. The cingulum sometimes also expands on the buccal side to form a second shelf, called the stylar shelf. This shelf can itself have smaller cusps, such as the peristyle and the metastyle. The preparacrista and the postmetacrista, by the way, connect the peristyle with, uh, with the proto... Sorry. Connect the peristyle with the pericone and the metacone with the metastyle. Another feature commonly found on the molars of some mammals is the loaf, a fold or ridge, or connected folds or ridges formed between cusps. The ectoloaf, for example, is often a W or V-shaped chain of named crests connecting cusps on the stylar shelf to the pericone and sometimes the metacone. See below. Terms for the lower tribosphenic molar mirror those for the upper one. Structures on the lower molar take the predictable suffixes stylid, cingulid, cristid, loafid, and conulid. These conventions for naming individuals Individual features on the lower molars tend to be somewhat more complicated than those for naming features on the uppers, however, largely because the lower tribosphenic teeth are themselves somewhat complex. Common modifications of the tribosphenic molar. The Cope-Osborne principle of the primitive tritubercular type has survived more or less unscathed for more than a century. It remains widely accepted that many of the forms of molar teeth we see in living mammals derive from this type. There are several commonly recognized variants of the tribosphenic cheek teeth. Often call, called modified tribosphenic cheek teeth, they have been divided for convenience into zalambodont, dilambodont, and euthymorphic types. The zalambodont upper molar has developed a broad stylar shelf. This shelf forms much of the buccal or occlusal surface, providing a platform for a variable number of small cusps or styles. What is left of the original trigon is pushed to the lingual edge of the tooth. There remains a large, well-differentiated pericone, but the metacone is usually absent or combined with the pericone, and the protocone is rudimentary if present at all. The zalambodont type is characterized by an ectoloaf resembling the capital Greek letter lambda. The ectoloaf is formed by two crests or ridges on the stylar shelf that connect the pericone, the apex of the uh, lambda, with the peristyle and the metastyle, the two ends of the lambda, respectively. The dilambodont upper molar resembles a double zalambodont tooth, with a second pair of crests posterior to the first. The stylar shelf again dominates the occlusal surface, and the protocone is reduced, but the metacone is large and positioned posterior to the pericone. The dilambodont ectoloaf is shaped like the letter W, or double lambda, with crests or ridges connecting the metastyle to the metacone, the metacone to the mesostyle, and the uh, mesostyle to the pericone, and the pericone to the peristyle. The original trigon surface is reduced to a low shelf on the lingual side of the tooth. The euthymorphic upper molar is the most common modification of the tribosphenic form. This type often has a lingual cingulum expanded into a broad shelf, and the buccal stylar shelf does not dominate the occlusal surface. The pericone and metacone are generally well-developed, and the lingual side of the crown usually supports a prominent protocone and often a distinct hypocone posterior to the protocone. The four-cusped four configuration was described by Osborne as, quote, quadratubercular, unquote, 
and has also been termed quadrate, particularly when the occlusal surface is more squared off than the triangular. Categories of cheek teeth. Mammalian cheek teeth are described by a whole host of other terms used throughout this book. It can be difficult to consider these in a systematic manner because many are specific to certain types of mammals, and they do not always refer to the same attributes. That said, we can use Hilson's 2005 three categories of cheek teeth as a starting point to at least mention some of these types. Hilson distinguishes mammalian dentitions as 1. those with sharp shearing edges, 2. those with flattened occlusal surfaces, and 3. those with complex infoldings. It should be noted that these types overlap, and some species have elements of two or three, or even all three of these categories. Cheek teeth with sharp shearing edges. The dilambidont and zalambidont tooth types have sharp shearing edges. Their stylar shelves bear sharply crested ectolose for shearing and slicing. Blade-like carnivore cheek teeth also have sharp shearing edges. These teeth are often referred to as cecodont. The P4 and M1 of carnivorans, sorry, that's the upper P4 and lower M1 of carnivorans, are called carnassials. These form a distinctive functional shearing complex. They are usually large, but bucolingually compressed teeth with an antero-posterior row of cusps connected by elongated blade-like crests. Further, some mammals, such as macropoded marsupials, have distinctive plagiolacoid plagi what is the I-A-U vowel sound supposed to sound like? Plagiolacoid teeth with a single serrated blade formed by crests connecting a series of small cusps aligned more or less antero-posteriorly. Cheek teeth with flattened occlusal surfaces. Omnivorous mammals, such as monkeys and apes, pigs and peccaries, and raccoons and bears, have relatively flat bunodont molar teeth. Bunodont teeth are often low-crowned and quadrate, with four rounded cusps. Bunodont lower molars come into occlusion at less acute angles than do those adapted to shearing, and their movements during mastication may involve complex crushing and grinding actions. Cheek teeth with complex infoldings. The majority of mammalian species have cheek teeth with infoldings. Most of these species are herbivorous, and their occlusal surfaces are often highly derived and complex. Many of these are lophodont, consisting of a series of loafs or ridges formed when adjacent cusps fuse together. These loafs can be oriented antero-posteriorly or bucolingually. They function in a manner similar to a to road speed bumps, providing resistance as opposing occlusal surfaces grind vegetation. Lophodont molars that have developed many rows of parallel loafs are often called loxodont. The African elephant, the African elephants that bear the name generic name loxodonta present a good example. Lophodont cheek teeth that show enamel foldings on the buccal and lingual sides of the crown, as in the beaver, are called tychodont. Uh, this configuration has been likened to the pleats of a skirt. The selenodont molar also has loafs, but each is formed by an elongation of a single cusp. This specialized tooth form has an occlusal surface dominated by an antero-posteriorly oriented crescent-shaped ridge named for the ancient Greek moon goddess Selene. Selenodont molars have infoldings that form deep depressions, or infundulite... <laughs> infundibula, infundibula, between adjacent buccal and lingual loafs. 
these molars are particularly effective grinding tools because as they wear down, the occlusal surfaces become a series of sharp-edged enamel ridges separated by infundibula and low-lying islands of dentine. Finally, selenolophodont cheek teeth share the elements of both lophodont and selenodont morphologies. The enamel ridges in these forms can be rather convoluted, twisting and winding their way around the surface of the crown. This morphology is particularly useful for grinding when the animal chews with a circular motion, as seen in the horse. Other attributes. While occlusal surface morphology is extremely important for describing cheek teeth, dental elements are often classified by other attributes as well. This has led to a whole suit of additional descriptive terms that the student of mammal teeth must be familiar with. High-crowned teeth, for example, are called hypsodont. These are typical of mammals with an abrasive diet, such as grazers that consume, consume grit-laden, silica-rich grasses. Low-crowned teeth are called brachydont. Brachydont. Um, brachydont? There's an extra O in there. There is also a whole set of classifications related to the roots, reflecting, for example, whether they separate near the cervix, cynodont, or further down their apices, torodont, and whether or not the teeth are open-rooted and ever-growing, hypselodont. The anchoring of the roots has led to additional terms, reflecting, for example, whether the teeth are embedded in sockets, thecodont, or are connected to the jaw by mineralized tissues, uh, ankylosis. These and other terms are used to distinguish specialized tooth types and are discussed in detail as they come up in the chapters that follow. Here is the second reading for the tribosphenic molar lecture. Um, this one is a paper from uh, Nature Letters. Uh, there's this, I can't remember. It's like a sub-journal within nature. Um, I don't know the full title. It's just called Letters on here. Uh, anyway, the title is Convergent Dental Adaptations in Pseudo-Tribosphenic and Tribosphenic Mammals. It was published in November 2007, and I will do my best with the author's names. Zhexi Luo, uh, Chiang Ji, and Changxi Yuan. Tribosphenic molars of basal marsupials and placentals are a major adaptation, with the protocone, pestle, of the upper molar crushing and grinding in the talonid basin, mortar, on the lower molar. The extinct pseudo-tribosphenic mammals have a reverse tribosphenic molar in which a pseudo-talonid is anterior to the trigonid to receive the pseudo-protocone of the upper molar. The pseudoprotocone is analogous to the protocone, but the anteriorly placed talonid is opposite to the posterior talonid basin of the true tribosphenic mammals. Here we describe a mammal of the Middle Jurassic period with highly derived pseudotribosphenic molars, but predominantly primitive mandibular and skeletal features, and place it in a basal position in the mammal phylogeny. Its shoulder girdle and limbs show fossorial creatures features similar to those of mammaliforms and monotremes, but different compared to those of the earliest known Laurasian and tribosphenic boreosphenid mammals. The find reveals a much greater range of dental evolution in Mesozoic mammals than their extant than in their extant descendants, and strengthens the hypothesis of homoplasy of quote tribosphenic like unquote molars among mammals. Class Mammalia, Clade, Yenotheria, Chow and Rich, 
1982. Uh, Family Shuotheriidae, Chow and Rich, 1982. Uh, Pseudotribos robustus, Gen et sp nov. Etymology. Pseudo, false, for superficial resemblance. Tribos, grinding, for the grinding and crushing function of the pseudotribosphenic molar. Robustus, strong, for the stout limb bones of the new mammal. Holotype. Chinese Academy of Geological Sciences, 040811A, and uh, Chinese Academy of Geological Sciences, 040811B are the part and counterpart, respectively, of a partial skeleton with impression and carbonized residues of furs. Locality and age. Daohugao locality, uh, Ningcheng County, Inner Mongolia region, China, in the middle Jurassic Geolongshan formation. Mammaliforms from this formation include the Dokodont, Castorocata, and the basal mammal, uh, Volaticotherium. Diagnosis. Dental formula. Um, two or more incisors, it looks like. One canine, five premolars, uh, and three upper molars. Oh, and three molars. That's all uppers. And then four incisors on the bottom. One canine, five three molars, and three molars. Upper molars have a triangular pattern of three cusps, a taller pericone, a shorter metacone, and an elevated pseudoprotocone. Lower molars have a triangular cusp pattern of the trigonid with the labial protoconid, tallest, and an anterior periconid and posterior metaconual, or sorry, metaconid, lowest. Anterior to the trigonid is the pseudotalonid basin with an elevated labial rim, pseudohypoconid that is connected to the pseudohypolophid crest. The lingual rim of the pseudotalonid basin of pseudotribos lacks the distinctive cusp, pseudoentoconid, that is present in the closely related shuotherium. Pseudotribos has a dis has distinguishable from, is distinguishable from shuotherium in having more post a more distinct posterior cingulate extending to the labial side of the trigonid and in having a less developed pseudo-hypoconid. It is distinguishable from Shuotherium shilongi and Shuotherium kermaki in having teeth about 30% smaller in size than comparable teeth, but larger than those of Shuotherium dongi by 20%. Pseudotribos differs from S. kermaki in having a more inflated pseudoprotocone. It is distinguishable from other mammaliforms in the apomorphies of a well-developed pseudotalonid basin positioned anterior to the trigonid on the lower molar in full occlusion with the upper pseudoprotocone. It is distinguishable from all theriomorph mammals, from eutrichonodontins, multituberculates, and spalacotheroids to living therians in the following plesiomorphies. A large interclavicle twice as long as the sternal manubrium, with two lateral processes and an expanded posterior process. It is distinguishable from multituberculates to living therians, except Achetolestes, in retaining mobile lumbar limbs, in lacking a distinctive head-neck offset, in lacking a distinctive head-neck offset uh, from the femoral shaft, and in the presence of an enlarged lesser trochanter and a laterally projecting greater trochanter. 
Although similar to Frutifosser in generalized and robust limb bones, Pseudotribos lacks the tuber, tubular postcanines and xenarthrin-like lumbers of the latter. For a full diagnosis, see supplementary information. The most important molar feature of the reverse tribosphenic pattern is the pseudotalonid with a pestle to mortar crushing function, a convergence that to the true tribosphenic molar that is correlated with the great diversification of basal placentals and marsupials, and with the basal australosphenid mammals. Previous assignment of isolated upper molars to the lower teeth of Shuotherium now validated is now validated by the in situ occlusion of the upper and lower teeth of the new pseudotribos. Pseudotribo, uh, pseudoprotocones of the left upper M1 and M2 are preserved in occlusion with the antero-pseudotalonid basins of lower M2 and M3, respectively. The pseudoprotocone of upper M3 is small and asymmetrical. Its prevalum surface shears against the post-valid surface of the trigonid of lower M3, and the post-cingulate of lower M3 seems to be too small to have any crushing function, as previously predicted. The preserved postvalum for upper P5 corresponds to the anterior side, prevalid, of the trigonid on lower M1. This matches the triangular lower ultimate premolar, P5, as earlier interpreted for Shuotherium and some Australosphenid mammals, and all signs of upper and lower molars. The canine is in form, and the anti-molar series shows a posterior gradient of increasingly developed pre-cingulids that further expands into the pseudotalonid basin on M1. Conspicuous spaces are present between teeth from the posterior incisors to the lower premolar, P4. The replacing teeth at the ultimate lower incisor locus and the upper canid locus indicate a typical diphodont replacement as in most mammaliforms. The mandible of pseudotribos is poorly preserved, but reveals several structures previously unknown in Shuotheriids. The dentary condyle is robust. The mandibular ramus is gracile and shallow in the symphysial region, but more robust and deeper below M2 in pseudotribos than in Shuotherium, uh, 1.6 millimeters versus 1.3 millimeters. The mandibular angle in pseudotribos is better developed than in Shuotherium and has a posteriorly facing facet for the ectotympanic angular bone as in docodonts. A rugose area is tentatively interpreted as the coronid, coronoid scar. Pseudotribos is similar to Shuotherium in having a convex ventral border of the mandible under M2. The postdentary trough extends anteriorly to the posterior opening of the mandibular canal. The shallow Meckel's sulcus extends anteriorly below M1 and is parallel to the ventral border of the mandible, not just intersecting, not intersecting the ventral border as in Shuotherium. Judging from the mandibular and molar differences within Shuotheriids, there seems to be a wide range of morphological divergence between Pseudotribos and Shuotherium, as well as between known species of Shuotherium, suggesting a greater diversity than shown by the currently modest record of this group. Pseudotribos has 22 thoracolumbar vertebrae, including 13 thoracic vertebrae having the ribs connected by means of costal cartilage to the sternobrae. Three additional thoracolumbar vertebrae have floating ribs without connection to the sternal series and are tentatively designated to thoracic vertebrae. 
the last six thoracolumbar vertebrae, 17 through 22, have more vertical prezygapophyses and more robust centra. These are designated lumbar vertebrae. The last three thoracic vertebrae and the anterior two lumbar vertebrae with mobile ribs form a gradational of successively shorter ribs in more posterior vertebrae, as seen in modern monotremes, the basal mammal Frutifosser and the eutrichodont uh, Yanaconodon. The costal cartilages of posterior ribs are gracile and individualized, unlike the broader and overlapping imbricating costal cartilage plates of extant monotremes. The cervical vertebrae are obscured by the broken elements of the shoulder girdle, but three sacral vertebrae are recognizable by the iliosacral contacting surfaces. The preserved parts of the pelvic and hind limb bones are robust. The ilium, the femur, and the preserved proximal parts of the tibia and fibula are very broad and are thick for their length. An impression overlapping the ilium is interpreted to represent the, u, the epipubis, a mammaliform plesiomorphy. The femoral head is large and uh, without a distinctive neck. The greater trochanter is laterally oriented and larger than the medially directed lesser trochanter below the femoral head. The lateral condyle is larger than the medial condyle. The proximal end of the fibula is broad. The parafibular process is present, but not strongly developed. The tibia has a strong anterior crest, a broad trough for the tibialis anterior muscle, and a proximolateral process. These features are plesiomorphic for mammaliforms and tritilodontids. The robust shoulder girdle of pseudotribos shows many fossorial features that are also plesiomorphies for crown mammalia. This supports a basal placement of shuotheriids in mammaliform uh, phylogeny. Pseudotribos resembles cynoconodon and modern monotremes in that the interclavicle is twice the length of the manubrium, cynodont plesiomorphy, and has a constricted waist, a club foot posterior expansion, and elongate articulation for the clavicle, all mammaliform apomorphies. Tritilodontids have an elongate but transversely narrow interclavicle with a tapering posterior end, a basal cynodont condition. In contrast, the posterior end of the interclavicle is expanded and juxtaposed with the an expanded anterior side of the T-shaped or triangular manubrium, the first rib-bearing element in the sternal structure in mammaliforms. The interclavicle and manubrium together form a massive area for the pectoralis muscles. The lateral processes of interclavicle and clavicles form the expanded area of origin for the sternocleidomastoid muscle. The expanded muscular attachments suggest a powerful forelimb with a strolling, sprawling posture, as in monotremes with burrowing adaptation, consistent with such fossorial features as the expanded deltopectoral crest, the teres major tubercle, and an expanded distal end of the humerus. The olecranon process is long, and its length is 62% that of the ulnar length anterior to the semilunar notch, similar to Fruta fossor and the extant fossorial mammals. In all mammaliforms, for which the pectoral girdle is sufficiently known, the coracoid does not articulate with the interclavicle. Extant monotremes, however, have a hypertrophied metacoracoid, extending to articulate with the expanded posterior end of the interclavicle. This provides extra support for the powerful shoulder and forelimb for burrowing in modern monotremes. The posterior clubfoot of the interclavicle and the expanded anterior end of the manubrium are also present in pseudotribos. This primitive morphotype of girdle and sternal structure, as seen as in Cynoconodon, 
pseudotribose and monotremes differs from the pivotal clavicular-interclavicle joint in, and mobile shoulder girdle of theriomorphs, uh, triconodonts, and crown therians. The reverse tribospheric, tribosphenic molar structure is significant by its opposite arrangement of the two functional parts, the primitive trigonid versus the derived talonid of the tribosphenic molar, um, tribosphenic molar of basal, marsupials, and placentals, and australosphenid mammals. Not present in any modern mammals, this evolutionary phenomenon suggests a much greater range of dental diversity in mammals from the Mesozoic era than in modern mammals. Despite their importance to mammal dental evolution, shuotheriids were represented by, previously by only 11 teeth and an incomplete mandible. Because of the conflicting characters of the derived pseudotribosphenic molars and primitive mandible represented by its limited fossils, hypotheses about phylogenetic affinities of Shuotherium have differed widely. Previously, Shuotherium was considered to be an intermediate between the primitive mammalia form Cunotherium with molar cusps in an obtuse triangle and the Symmetrodonts with molar cusps in an acute triangle to be related to docodont mammalia forms to be between acute triangled symmetrodonts and the derived pre-tribosphenic mammal Paramus, or to be a basal mammal and sister group to Australocephenids. Australosphenidins. Our analysis on improved data sets from the new pseudotribos excludes of an affinity to shuotheriids or symmetrodonts, or to the clade Paramus or more derived lineages. Shuotheriids are more closely related to the Australosphenidin clade than, un, than other Mesozoic mammal groups. Before the discovery of the geometrically reversed design of pseudotribosphenic molars, it was widely assumed for more than a century that the upper molar protocone, the lower molar talonid, and their occlusal correspondence evolved together in a single origin in early mammalian history. The discovery of Shuotherium changed this assumption. It is now generally accepted that a protocone-like structure of the upper molar can occlude either a talonid in the posterior part of the molar, lower molar, or a pseudotalonid in the anterior part of the lower molar in different clades. The functionally adaptive upper molar protocone evolved at least twice in mammalian history. Recently, it was also proposed that the talonid basin in the earlier tribosphenic molar has evolved more than once in early mammals. This observation received support from the newly discovered Austral Australosphenidin mammals that lack the typical wear facets of the Boreosphenid mammals, as defined by studies for the Laurasian tribosphenic molars. Their detailed occlusal relationship to the structure of, of upper molars may differ between the Laurasian and the Gondwanan Mesozoic mammals with tribosphenic teeth. The new fossil of pseudotribos adds to the inference from that both the upper molar protocone and the lower molar talonid could have undergone convergent evolution, and that there is more than one pathway to combine slicing and crushing functions in a single jaw motion for more effective faunivory and omnivory in early mammalian history. The wider morphological range of tooth form and function in Mesozoic mammals suggests suggests that their dental evolution is much more labile than can be inferred from Cenozoic mammals. <laughs>